Today being Easter Sunday, and I'm just so pleased that all of you are here. It's a great place to be, amen? So if you'll turn into your Bible to Matthew chapter 28, verses 5 through 7. So Matthew 28, verses 5 through 7 says, And the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples, He has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. Amen. And the other scripture is John fourteen nineteen, and it's the second part of the verse, and it says, Because I live, you will live also. And it is this declaration that we are looking at for our understanding of what the resurrection of Jesus Christ is all about. Because he lives, we will live also. You know, a few weeks ago, I challenged myself and kind of said, how did you ever come up with an Easter bunny and Easter eggs? How did you ever get that out of the resurrection and about uh, Jesus Christ? Well, I did some reading and I found out. Number one, eggs have always been a symbol of fertility. The Romans and the Greeks used it for centuries. In fact, the ancient Egyptians used to bury eggs in the tombs. It was a sign of a resurrection or a sign of hope and of life. And then there is also the idea of the Easter bunny. Where did the Easter bunny tradition come from? Well, it originated in Eastern Europe, and it was there that they revered the rabbit as being the sacred animal of the springtime. Because it became uh, revered as fertility, but also the welcoming of spring. There was a tradition that the rabbit would lay colored eggs, and the children were supposed to create nests out of hats and straw and things. And some of the very wealthy would decorate their eggs with gold leaf. Any of you do that last night, decorate gold leaf eggs? You know, you'd pound out gold into leaves and cover your eggs. Maybe, maybe you just boiled them and dyed them, right? Some of you, how many dyed eggs last night? What's wrong with the rest of you? You don't have eggs? Uh, yeah, you hard-boiled some of them, right? So anyhow, we attribute it to immigrants from Deutschland. Where's Deutschland? Germany. So the immigrants from Deutschland, from Germany, settled in Pennsylvania. So this whole idea of the Easter bunny and colored eggs and all that came from uh, eastern Pennsylvania. And the Pennsylvania Dutch that settled in eastern Pennsylvania started the tradition in America. And that's how we come up with eggs and bunnies and nests. Now you know the rest of the story. Whenever we think about the resurrection and we think about Easter, it's important for us to kind of put together the idea of why we celebrate. Why we celebrate the resurrection and why we see this as so important. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, there is no need to study the scriptures. There's no need to look at the Bible and to study the New Testament. Because if Jesus isn't risen, then all of it is for naught. Paul says, if Christ be not risen from the dead, then our faith is in vain. 
So Easter is a celebration that only Christians can celebrate. For no other religion declares that their founder not only died, that he rose from the dead. So one of the great facts of Christianity that sets us apart from all other religions is not only that our founder lived and died, but that he rose from the dead, and that there was prophecy, there was a foretelling of the events. You know, 10% of the New Testament alludes to what happened in the Old Testament. So there was a foretelling of events that brought about the fulfillment of that in Jesus Christ and his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. 10% of it goes back to what was foretold. So not only do we have Christianity as a symbol of life, but we have it as a declaration of foretelling, of prophecy. The prophetic word told about the future before it happened. So Easter is a celebration of Passover. In the Old Testament, in the Jewish tradition, there was Passover. And all of this set up and set in motion what would come with Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. In the Old Testament, there was a sacrifice of animals for the covering of sin. And in the New Testament with Jesus Christ, he came to fulfill that. There was Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. We find in Matthew 28, he says, I know that you seek Jesus, whom was crucified, and he is not here. For he is risen as he said. If you listen to some of the critics and you listen to some of the things that are on television, you know, about Christianity and about the death of Christ, it's almost like he tried to be a leader and somehow failed. And when he failed what he wanted, he was crucified. And that the crucifixion was kind of a byproduct of this failure. But that's not how it happened. The scriptures that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. That the idea of the death of Jesus Christ did not catch Jesus off guard. He told his disciples about it. He told them that he would die. He told them that he would be the sacrifice. But you know what? They didn't hear it. He said that he would die, but he also said that he would rise from the dead. Come see the place, the angel said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples he is risen from the dead. The book of Job was written 2000 B.C. In that book, there's a question that Job presents. If a man dies, shall he rise again? That's the question that's presented 2,000 years before the birth of Christ. Consider what Jesus said. He said that he was the God-man. That God in the form of man came. He declares that he who has seen me has seen the Father. I and the Father are one. The verification of who Jesus is and what he does and what he teaches is of extreme importance because it is upon these truths, not hearsay, not tradition, it is upon these truths that our faith is placed in Jesus Christ and in the resurrection. Even his enemies recognize his claim. He ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. His perfect life, his godlike character, his powerful miracles, his message of life, of forgiveness, of restoration. It was about God becoming man to bring us into a right relationship with God. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. 
His resurrection was a fulfillment of his prophecies and of his pronouncements. And if Jesus was not risen from the dead, the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, would not exist. So you look at the disciples when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. His triumphal entry we celebrated last week on Palm Sunday. The disciples were expecting Jesus to set himself up as a king like David. They wanted to sit. Can we sit on your right hand and on your left? And so whenever they were expecting this, they were expecting Jesus to somehow overthrow the Roman government. And to have that tragedy of a death and such a horrendous death take place, it just crushed the disciples. And then, within 50 days of the resurrection, we find them changing the world. If there were a conspiracy, you might want to preach, a cons- you know, Jesus is alive, but you don't want to die for it. These individuals were so changed that their life changed and how they looked at life and how they began to see themselves. Do you know what one of the greatest hindrances to Christianity is? A poor testimony. A poor testimony. There's something unique about our lives. You know, I was thinking of what, what, are, the, you know, what are the kind of the um, traditions, you know, I said about Easter eggs and bunnies. How many have chocolate Easter bunny at your house? It doesn't have ears. <laughs> well, you, some of you don't have Easter bunnies? Okay, well, I have two here. I have two Easter bunnies here. I want you to tell me which one of these you think is solid and which one is hollow. How many believe the one on the right is solid? How many believe the one on the left is solid? We've got a few onlookers here, okay. The difference between a hollow testimony, did you ever hear the expression, well, if they're a Christian, I don't want to be one. And why would that be? Kind of a hollow testimony? I hope these stand. Would someone like to hold them? Yeah, all right. I won't have any, he won't have any ears. Yeah, I won't have any ears left by the time we get done holding them. So you get to look at those, and, and you're not going to know till the end which one is which, but you get to look at them, and you get to study them, you know, because... When someone who doesn't know Jesus hears a person talk about Christ and they claim themselves to be a Christian and you don't see their life measuring up to it, people who don't believe look at that and say, well, if they're hollow, God is hollow. You know, they get all dressed up in their faith and they look good. How do you know what's hollow? How will you know if it's hollow? You bite the ears off. All right. You bite into it, and what happens? It's crushed, it falls apart, whatever. As an onlooker examines the Christian faith, we look at our lives, and from my perspective, hopefully, if I see someone who is hollow in their faith, I liken it to the idea that, well, you know what, they're making an attempt, let's try and build it up, and let's fill them up with the presence of God, fill them up with God and You know, fill them up with chocolate. Fill them inside so that they're full of God in their life. But to the person who doesn't know God, they look at the hollowness and say, if they're a Christian, I don't want to be one. 
Christians sometimes are a little hollow. But on Easter Sunday, we're looking at how that this group of women came to, you know, the scripture that we read. Early in the morning, they arrived at the tomb. They met an angel, and an angel invited them to look inside this empty tomb. We were reading, we talked about this in Sunday school. You know, I've always imagined in my mind how that the disciples and the women arrived at the tomb and how that they would have looked inside and the garments that Jesus would have been wrapped in, I just pictured them as, you know, just falling flat like a sheet. They would look inside and say, wow, he's not in there. Well, if you look at Joseph of Arimathea and uh, Nicodemus, these are the guys who took the body of Jesus and they probably wrapped it in cloth, but they also put about 50 pounds of ointment on his body. In one commentary I was reading, said it was being like mixing flour. And that whenever you would put that on the body, it would almost create like a body cast. And so they would have put this around the body of Jesus as he was wrapped in the shroud, and then they would have put this over his body just as kind of like a preservative until they can get there and finish the preparing of the body for burial. So when the morning came, Easter Sunday, that Jesus would have risen from the dead, when they looked in, they would have seen this body cast with no one in it. Did you ever try and get out of a cast without breaking it? (laughs) Did you ever get out of a body cast without breaking it? And then there was this napkin that would have covered his face that was neatly folded and set aside. So when the disciples looked in and they saw this in place, they knew something had happened. They knew that the body was gone, but yet the shroud and the, as it were, this body cast of preservatives was there and unbroken. So something happened that morning that changed the lives of all these individuals. John and Peter, they came to the tomb, they saw the linen clothes lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. They didn't see a body. It was gone. Mary. This story is one of my favorite, because Mary arrives at the tomb, and she looks in, and she's so grief-stricken, all she knows is that Jesus isn't there. So whenever she comes away from the tomb, she sees someone and says, where have you taken him? Where have you taken his body? I've got to see his body. She was so, so grief-stricken that she wanted to, as it were, hold him one more time. See him one more time. And in her grief, she says, where have you laid him? Now, we don't know how or What? But Jesus says her name. He says Mary. And whether in her tears she saw his feet with the nail scars in them, whether she looked up and saw his hands as she reached to him, or whether it was the sound of Jesus saying her name, everything changed in Mary at that moment, and she realized and she said, Rabboni, teacher, it's you. And it was this revelation that changed her life. 
Everything that she had believed in and for Jesus to be had died, was crushed at the cross. But here we find something taking place in this resurrection that changed her life forever. Our logic is we look at these things and we see how it unfolds and we would say, like the Romans and the Pharisees, if they knew that Jesus had risen from the dead, they would have believed. Not so. Because it was the resurrection of the Jesus calling Lazarus out of the tomb that the Pharisees says, we've got to kill him. He's becoming too powerful. There are things that happen in our life that challenge what we believe and challenge how we see them. Anybody ever remember the first time you ate a hollow bunny? Were you disappointed? I remember my first hollow Easter bunny. I remember thinking how glad I was to have this big rabbit and all that chocolate. And I bit the ears off. It felt pretty light, you know, must be whipped chocolate or something, you know. And I bit the ears off and it was hollow. And my first thought was, my mother must not have known she bought me a hollow egg. She would, I mean, a hollow Easter bunny. She would never buy me a hollow Easter bunny. That was my first thought. Mom, how could you do this? <laughs> I was wanting all this chocolate and I got this coated thing, you know. So we've all looked at a hollow Easter bunny and sometimes we've looked at hollow Christians and wanted to walk away from them. I like that video that we had a little bit ago. It shows the face of that person almost in a hockey mask, white thing, you know, that we're not going to pretend to be something that we're not. We're allowed to have our doubts and we're allowed to have our questions. Jesus doesn't get upset with questions. And he doesn't get upset with doubts. He doesn't get upset with us being human. He doesn't get upset with you being you. He created us to be who we are. It's just that he wants to bring out the faith that he's instilled in us and to take it in a direction that will build us in our relationship with him and with one another and to take who we are from where we are to where he wants us to be. You see, the solid faith is we have a very real God and we have very real problems. We have very real situations that we have to deal with. It is the filling of God in our life, the filling, the infilling, as it were, of God's presence inside of us that gives us the strength, the solidness of character. And, you know, are we going to crumble? Are we going to fall? Yes, we're going to have difficulties. We're going to have times that just challenge us. Sirs, if you've carried him away, tell me. There's like no thought of a resurrection with Mary. And sometimes there's just no thought of how we can get out of this. But when Jesus said the name of Mary to Mary, it changed her life. And this is what I think of for today is Easter. That Jesus speaks our name. He calls us by name. He knows who we are and he knows exactly where we're at. He knows exactly the need of our life and exactly what we need to take place inside of us. And he speaks our name and he touches us by his spirit. And he gives us his divine strength. And that hollowness that we sense on the inside about life and about whatever is going on. He gives us a sense of purpose and he gives us a sense of meaning. And he gives us a way of touching our lives that fills this emptiness inside of us. 
There's a story. A little boy, a young boy and his father, they were driving down a country road. And as they were driving, a bee got in the car. And the boy was very highly allergic to bee stings. He became very, very frightened. And the father reached out and grabbed hold of the bee and held it in his hand. And then he left it go. And the child became very, very frightened again and wanted to know, Dad, why did you do that? And the father, as he stopped the car, he had the boy look at his hand. And he said, There, son, there's the stinger in my hand. The bee can't hurt you anymore. So you don't need to be afraid anymore. I've taken the sting for you. The Easter message is this. The sting of death is gone. O grave, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Life and death, resurrection and hope. When we look at the hand of Jesus, we not only see his nail-scarred hand, we also see the sting of death. Because where Jesus is, there is life and there is hope. We said earlier, Job had a question, 2000 BC, if a man die, will he, will he rise again? Job chapter 19 says, I know that my Redeemer lives. This is 2000 years before Jesus Christ. Before his, we, Jesus always was, but before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 2000 years, prophetic Writing, Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. With my eyes I will see him, and not another's eyes, How my heart yearns within me for that day. 2,000 years before the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Job wrote about it. This is the foundational, the solidness of our faith. It isn't based upon hysterics and it's not based upon campfire stories. It is based upon the reality of a God who for thousands of years wrote about his coming. Then his coming was here in his birth, in the manger, by a virgin. And then his life, his teachings, his sacrificial death, his resurrection, his ascension. He ever lives to make intercession for us. He knows us and he calls us by name. And it is our choice (laughs) to be distracted by the hollowness of some things, or to recognize the fullness of our relationship with Jesus Christ. So which one is hollow? Which one is hollow? One on the left or the one on the right? How many say this one is hollow? How many say this one is hollow? Don't worry, I'm not going to eat it. I'm going to stuff it back in here. The idea 
that we can all be distracted by what is hollow. We can get all dressed up. (laughs) But on the inside, we're empty. Our faith is something that fills us and keeps us. And even in the pressures of life, there's still a sense of strength inside of us that God is there. So let us focus on what Jesus Christ has done for us and how he has changed our lives.